Hey everyone, welcome to the More with Nikki Dutton podcast. Today is a very good day because you are about to meet one of my favorite people ever. Jamie Swank is a dear friend and someone who has really become more like family to me. We talk about this throughout this conversation, but Jamie and I met in a season of my life where I had just finished my undergrad. I had moved to a new city. I had just met Scott and I was really trying to figure out who I am and how to navigate life well and working through some just really tough things that were going on in that present time. And Jamie was a voice of reason. She was a cheerleader. She was an encourager, a challenger, and she shaped my life in such profound ways. She shaped my faith and the way that I relate to others, the way that I approach learning in the world. I mean, she really is one of the most influential people in my life. And I've known since the very day I launched this podcast that she was a guest I wanted to have on. And so I'm so grateful that this is the time in history where it made sense. And so her and I came together to record this podcast episode together. And what this conversation is going to feel like to you as you listen in is this is what a typical night together would look like. Jamie and I would go grab dinner. You're going to hear us talk about where we would typically get dinner. And we would just sit across from each other and just chat and talk about life and our thoughts and what we're wrestling with and what we're thinking and what we're learning. And that is exactly what this is. And so I'm so excited to invite you to pull up a chair, to grab your own plate and grab some chips and salsa and just sit with us and just talk about life. So here is my mentor, my friend, my family, Jamie Swank. I found out about Branch Basics from one of my best friends who has been slowly incorporating cleaner products into her home. Every time we would go over to Lindsay's for dinner, she would be cleaning up and I would ask her what smelled so fresh, what was she using, and she said that it was Branch Basics. And what I love about these products is that they're human safe, non-toxic, and free of fragrance and hormone disruptors and harmful preservatives. So they're even safe to use around Scout and Trooper or if you have kids in your home. And I love that because I can feel good about the products that we're using to clean our kitchen or that we're using around our home, that we're breathing in, that we're eating off of these surfaces or preparing food off of these surfaces. I know that it's not filled with harmful chemicals. Plus, the products are actually incredible. I went on a bit of a cleaning spree around our house this weekend and I carried my little Branch Basics bottles around with me to every single room. We have the starter kit, which came with one concentrate and multiple refillable bottles for different uses. And the beauty is once you run out, you have everything you need to refill your spray bottle and you have a whole nother set to work with. It's perfect for spring cleaning. So visit branchbasics.com and use promo code Nikki Dutton for 15% off of all starter kits except the trial kit. Again, that's B-R-A-N-C-H-B-A-S-I-C-S.com and use promo code N-I-K-K-I-D-U-T-T-O-N, no spaces for 15% off of your starter kit. Okay, Jamie, you already know that I think you are the best, and I don't know that you would 100% agree, but it doesn't really matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. But I would love for you to introduce yourself to people who don't know you yet. You can just tell us who you are and what you do and just a little bit of what life looks like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, my name's Jamie. I'm a proud Pittsburgher, as you know. I feel like, honestly, I feel like I'm a pretty simple human. And so these questions always throw me a little bit because I feel like I should have something profound. Um, I am um, a college administrator and have been in that field um, for a large part of my career. And um, really isn't really where I expected to be, but it is where I have been placed and um, have been blessed to be. And so a lot of my work is... uh, in student affairs and, um, really kind of discipleship through, um, the vehicle of higher education. And so I really love, um, working with young people. I love working, um, with folks that are at kind of really crossroads in their life, whether with identity, um, or faith or, uh, world issues and just that kind of, um, place where, you know, they're hitting um, a moment in adulthood where they really are, are looking for truth and authenticity. Um, they're starting to peel back the layers um, of things. And um, I, I love that. I love getting to be on that journey with folks. 
Um, outside of that, life's pretty simple. It's uh, me and I um, am blessed to share a home with one of my best friends and, uh, and just kind of that's an intentional decision so that um, as single people, we can offer hospitality and um, be in community together and with others, which has just been um, incredibly rich. I think I'm a big proponent of um, singleness is not a season to get through, but um, is a gift in itself and um, and kind of just reimagining uh, and modeling that for, for other people. Um, yeah, so uh, I love to do lots of things, love to travel, love to read, I'm pretty much up for any adventure. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers the question. But. It does. It does. And I can affirm all of those things. I mean, we'll talk about this in a bit, but I got to come spend a weekend with you guys recently. And I mean, we went to a magic show. We went to a movie. Yeah. We made candles. We did it all in like <laughs> 72 hours. So you do live a fun life. We like to have a good time. Yeah. We like to use our time. That's for sure. And you've got a dog that I adore as well, Sasha. She's our Ooh, pride and joy. Adores you back um, and, and your husband. She's a big fan. So Yes, yes. Well, that's because we show her undying affection. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> we won her love over. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, she definitely y'all outrank me for sure. <laughs> well, and she said, or you mentioned this as well, that um, you're from Pittsburgh. So as much as you're comfortable or as much as yeah. you want, just share a bit of your story story. Life starts in Pittsburgh. You find yourself in higher education. Somewhere along the way, you decide, I think I'll become a lawyer and <laughs> yeah. you give your life to the Lord. Yeah. So just share a little bit of your backstory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Born and raised about 40 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. But if you're from this region, you're a Pittsburgher. Uh, my dad's a coal miner. My parents got married um, right out of high school. I came shortly after. Um, and, you know, I think when you grow up in that type of culture, there's, um, it's hard to explain to people unless they've lived it, you know, like there's something to, you know, working or growing up in a region that is heavily a mining and kind of mill, a very blue collar, um, very working class, um, a lot of pride, you know, a lot of, uh, resilience, um, a lot of just you know, strength in kind of the DNA of the people around here. Um, and so uh, I'm the first in my family to go to college. My parents were uh, really hardworking and big proponents of, um, you know, we didn't miss school. You know, my, my dad would you know, open up the newspaper at the dining room table and we talk about current events, you know. Um, and so, you know, I think they're particularly for both my parents, uh, for sure, but I think my dad just like had this hunger to learn and understand the world. And I think, you know, I can, I can see where my brothers and I kind of absorb that. And so, uh, I was blessed, um, to go to, 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 to college, you know, and I think especially as the first person in my family to go, you know, you're not, you're figuring a lot of things out, you're getting oriented and, um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, while in college, uh, um, just got connected into really working with the folks in, in student development, student affairs, and really was blessed by them. Um, had a PR job in New York City, uh, lined up, ready to go at a Catholic charity. And that was the dream, right? The dream was to go to New York City and get out of here. And um, and uh, 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 supervisor said, I really think you should look at this job at this college up the road. And and it made like eight grand, no benefits, no <laughs> anything, like nothing, you know, and here I am, like I first in my family to graduate college and, you know, I'm going to go on and, you know, here I am making, you know, below the poverty line. And I only took the interview because he had set it up for me. And thus is my journey. I, I went and it just, uh, I came to know Christ in, in, in high school and really my faith became my own, you know, really took, took root in college and um, so at that point in my life, I knew enough to know the Lord's voice. And yeah, so that was the trajectory and uh, did my master's in higher education administration. And, you know, I think I, to be transparent was really, there weren't a lot of voices in my life kind of guiding. I was, I think now can look back and say, man, I was really doing this kind of on my own. And, um, 
you know, kind of got to the end of grad school and my first job and said, oh, you know, is this it? Is this really the thing? And um, I think grad school had given me um, enough confidence. Um, I didn't even know what a master's degree was. Like I, in, in full disclosure, like somebody signed me up for the grad program. Um, I didn't even know what it was. I had never heard of a master's degree. And so um, I think going through that, I thought, man, I thought about law school as a kid, you know, like all your little papers you write in mm-hmm. third and fourth grade, you know, you draw your pictures. It was always <laughs> a lawyer. And um, I said, oh man, I was going to take the LSAT. And, um, you know, if I do well enough and I apply and I get in, I'll just think that's like the Lord. And that's probably yeah. not the best fleece. Uh, <laughs> partially because in hindsight, I can look back and say, my, my resume wasn't so bad, you know. But in that moment, it felt so far out of reach. And um, yeah, and so I'm, I'm just like super grateful. Um, I think law school, even though I don't practice and didn't really practice, you know, um, substantively, uh, I think law school was so formative. Um, I think in teaching me how to think, how to write, uh, it's, you know, it sharpened you in so many ways. And um, I think built my confidence in ways that I, I don't think I could have gotten in such a concentrated period of time. Um, because it is in some ways merciless, right? Like it's sink or swim. And, um, but it was so engaging and I thought, oh man, like I can, like I can keep up, like, you know, cause I think so much, you know, of life sometimes, at least for, for me has been, you know, do I belong at the table and is there a place for me at this table? And because, you know, I don't, I don't know anybody that sits at the table. And so um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that experience and what just feels like such a luxury, but, um, you know, was kind of bouncing around a little bit after law school. And, uh, I just, every, every September, you know, the, the smells and I'm going, okay, like it's time and everyone else just keeps moving. And I'm like, so, and so I found my way back. So, yeah. yeah, Yeah, So that's, we met right after I had just finished college and you instantly became just kind of a big person in my life because uh, that was in a season of my life where I was just going through so much, so much good. Scott and I had just met and we were figuring out our life together. Do we fit together? What does that mean? How does that look? We, I was figuring out for the first time living on my own and taking those first steps into adulthood while also navigating a lot of really hard things. And you kind of stepped in as a voice and just a friend, really just as a friend at first. But then through those conversations, you became more than a friend. You became a mentor in my life. And I mean, even at our wedding, you got to stand up and kind of almost like bless Scott and I's life together and just launch us into the season. And so a lot of who I am, I've learned from you. And one of those things <laughs> that is like, I, that is even like subtle. I don't even know that you've realized that you've shaped this because they're the big things. But when you're talking about your dad opening the newspaper and you guys talking about current events, I feel like in a certain fashion, you did that for me as well. Because when we were in life together, you know, seeing each other multiple days out of the week and spending time together, there wasn't just having surface level conversations. Like we were talking about what's going on in foreign countries. We're talking about politics. We're talking about like problems in education and reform and systems. And so- You were the innocent bystander to all of my pontifications. <laughs> That's, you are being very gracious. <laughs> well, and I'm a sponge. So I was like, this is what it means to be sharp. This is what it means to be well-rounded. And you really are one of the smartest and most well-informed people. Second, and I will have to be, I have to be gracious to her, tied only with Krista Autry, who is the best friend in question in this equation. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's my, it's my, it's my teammate up here in in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I mean, our dinners together would last hours, whether it was me and you or me, you and Krista. And so I would love to know right now, like what's something that really has a lot of your attention that you're giving some learning to, or that you're just really focused on. If we were opening the newspaper with you, what would be the thing you'd circle and be like, we have to talk about this? Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know if it's in the newspapers, but I think the two conversations I find myself just really, I think, seeking wisdom on, I guess maybe is the best way to say it. And to, is, I think one is, and I think they're, they're, they're tied together. You know, what makes us 
respond the way that we do, right? Like we are so deeply polarized and we are so deeply divided. But when I, you know, I'm in a, a pretty conservative small town, you know, generally conservative small town right now. And, you know, when I sit and I listen to folks and I listen to them talk about, you know, their gun control or other things, it, it, you just, um, you, you, you hear when they're, you know, when it's not political per se, but when it's personal, mm. um, you know, really it comes back to what are we afraid of? And, you know, I think most of us desire the same things. You know, I think most of us long for the same things. And so where is that breakdown in, uh, or even the desire to find common ground? And when did that happen? Or, um, you know, when it existed, did it ever really exist? Or was it just a, um, uh, I don't want to say a fake piece for lack of a better word, but maybe we weren't challenged enough that we were able to exist in this in between. Um, So I just have been reading and trying to understand and trying to, and and partially to be transparent um, out of a conviction that as people who follow Christ, we are to embody hope. You know, scripture says, be ready to give a defense for your hope, not your dogma, not your doctrine, not your theology, you know, I don't have to give a thesis on these things. The Bible's saying, hey, like what you need to be able to defend is your hope. Like, cause that's going to be the thing that's countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I found myself losing hope, you know, losing hope that um, people would look out for one another, that people could listen, that people could um, prioritize other people over themselves or at least as much as themselves. And so I think it started that journey of sh- where's, where is it? Where is that common ground? How do we cultivate it? Um, how do we get here? And I, mm-hmm. I find myself coming back to um, just how much, you know, fear is, whether real or imagined, um, is such a driver in our culture. And there's a, um, and I'll, I'll misquote it, I'll butcher it, so I won't even try to quote it, but there's a, a Native American quote that, uh, essentially says, um, you know, most of our fear only exists in the imagined and, um, and that it is, it's our imagination and what we think could or will happen that drives so much of our reality, ironically. And so, um, yeah, so I've been thinking about that and I think the kind of integrated with that weirdly kind of Native American themes have come up a lot in my reading and that's interesting. That's something that's come up for me too. Yeah. And, um, this idea, I just, I think I'm so utterly enamored is probably the best word. And I've always had, um, this kind of fascination and respect for native American culture, but lately I've just been enamored with the integration of native peoples, how they saw Mm -hmm. everything is integrated and interrelated and Hey, um, our, you know, man's responsibility for the earth and how we treat the earth and how we engage it and how we engage each other and how we, you know, um, and, and I found a lot of, um, nourishment, I guess, in that conversation. Um, and, um, (laughs) ironically so much so that a couple weekends ago, I almost got in the car and drove, there's, um, down in Washington, D.C., a little while back, they opened the Smithsonian, opened the um, Indigenous um, yes, People's Museum. Yes, I've heard about Museum. this and I want to go. Yeah, I've been once, but it was right after they opened. And so everything wasn't, uh, you know, fully, uh, probably as it is now. Um, but that's how much it, like, just keeps coming mm-hmm. up. And and I, you know, just have, um, there's just, man, there's just such richness and beauty in the way that they lived so integrated. and. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are probably the themes, I guess, for lack of a better word, of yeah. uh, of things that, um, and part of it, honestly, is just to hold myself accountable because um, I want to get angry and I want to get frustrated and I want to be polarized. And mm-hmm. um, but I think as a believer uh, in Christ, um, you know, I, I, polarization is not an option. You know, Jesus didn't choose political camps. And so, um, you know, things like that and wanting to make sure that, um, I'm not doing the same. And so, yeah. 
So I think that feeds really well into my next question because I've seen you stand for truth, for what you believe in, in your own life, in the life of others, in my life. You've stood for truth in my life so many times. Um, so I guess I'm just thinking, what encouragement would you give someone like me who can sometimes shy away from that? Because like you said, they're is such a clear picture of polarization. And so I think sometimes my personality type can be, well, then I'm just going to play the middle because I just don't want to upset anyone or I don't want to ostracize or cut off, you know, one side or the other. Um, So what advice would you give someone about how to stand well for what you believe in? But like you're saying, to think well about it, to think critically and to do it in a way of love. So being bold, but I think with love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a great question. I'm not sure I have a a, a well thought out answer, but I think that I, I think probably one of the things that comes to mind is something I think you do really really well is um, this idea of like if you're not sure where to start in kind of hey I, I you know there's all these things going on where do I start how do I know what to stand for if I want to stand for something how do I do that. Um, I think a a place for me that I think is a a good um, and I want to use the word gentle really uh, place to start is curiosity. Mm. Um, And, and, and I, the older I get, the more I value curious people, Um, you know, and curious in, um, you know, the folks who are just, Hey, tell me your story, you know, um, or the curious that will try a new food or the curious that will, um, Hey, I was told not to go into this part of town because it's not safe, but I know people that live there that I love. So why wouldn't I walk down the street? So, you know, what? I'm going to be curious and I'm going to walk down the street. You know what? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I think sometimes, um, I, I think things are often much more simple than, um, I think. As, as believers, you know, thinking about, um, you know, you know, first Peter says, you know, we have this enemy that roars around seeking to devour. And, um, and sometimes I think in, in that darkness is this complexity and this getting people overwhelmed and, um, you know, and life is complex in its brokenness and its challenges. Um, and sometimes I think just being curious is such a, accessible place to start. Um, Hey, like if you're not sure about somebody's culture, like invite them to dinner and say, Hey, like, how did you grow up? What were things that were really valuable to your family? What were, I think most people, when you are coming honestly to the table, Mm -hmm. um, genuinely wanting to know without something to prove, um, people offer themselves so quickly because we're designed for connection, right? Like we're designed to know and be known. It's at the core of who we are, regardless of what faith tradition or not faith tradition we come from. All of us have that in us. Um, and so it resonates across faith. It resonates across cultures. Um, and so I think curiosity um, is, is, a, is a really great accessible starting place. Um, personally, and, and, and this has gotten me into trouble, so I would not say that this, I'm not really sure what to do <laughs> with it. Um, I have had an insatiable, and it's something that I wrestle a lot with the Lord in, um, for freedom and wanting yeah. to see people free and trying to find my own freedom, um, you know, freedom from self-doubt, self-hate, um, you know, freedom from stereotypes, freedom from, you know, systems that, you know, aren't always fair and just. And, um, and I'm not sure where that comes from. And sometimes it's not always a healthy thing. Uh, I think as I get older, I've, I've learned to see it, the good and bad on it. Um, cause there, you know, I think when I was younger, it came out in an independent streak that wasn't always the most productive thing, but, um, and, and honestly, I think, um, man, I think this is, I hope this doesn't sound trite. I feel like it's going to sound trite. Um, there's something about suffering that produces something that nothing else but it can produce. And, um, 
And I think walking through suffering, there are two outcomes. You get bitter um, or you get better, right? Like you, you grow into something better. Um, and I think the Holy Spirit's work is significant in, in that for right. us to get better, right? I think our natural inclination is to get bitter and frustrated and angry and jaded and cynical by the grace of God. Um, but I think if we allow suffering to do its work in us, to face it, to engage it, to, uh, not deny it, um, I think it produces, um, empathy. I think it produces compassion. Um, I think it produces humility, like other things just can't like it, 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 it gets somewhere that, um, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you, you remember Huli Goddard, um, mm -hmm. from, um, who used to be our wilderness guide on some trips that we used to take. And, um, and he would always say that he said, you know, wisdom is born of suffering. And he would say that to me all the time. And, um, and so I, I think if we allow the hard places and the Lord to redeem the suffering and the brokenness in our life, that I think it produces, um, uh, maybe not produces, maybe strips us of pride yeah. that I think often keeps us from advocating when it could be costly or standing up for things um, that may be unpopular. And um, because in, ultimately there's a pride somewhere, right? And um, so I think I've had some, some probably a, a a handful of significant moments in my life that I think just stripped that pride away mm -hmm. and by the grace of God. And, um, that I, that I think <laughs> there's like, well, I already looked the fools. <laughs> you know, like, We're already out on this ledge. We might as well keep going. <laughs> uh, and every once in a while too, I had a boss one time that said, Jamie, you're, you're the, you know, the justice bone in your body is just way too big. Um, I don't know if that was a compliment or a rebuke. Uh, I think it was the latter. I think he was so. I don't know. It depends on if it was in your law degree. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, I think he was just so tired of, yeah. um, you know, me kind of coming to him and saying, this isn't right or this needs mm -hmm. addressed or. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I don't know if that even came close to it answering did. your it question. Did. It did because what I hear you saying is that the way you approach people matters a lot. And the way that you approach these types of conversations matters a lot. And the way that happens is often shaped by the experiences we've had. So when we've had grace extended to us, it's often easier to extend grace to someone else. Or when we've been misunderstood, we're maybe a little bit less quick to make those judgments. I was listening to, it's like, it's a pop culture podcast. There's no like faith element to it, but it was these two celebrities and they were talking about how when they first got their movie role, um, they saw that the tabloids printed something wrong about them. They got their age wrong. They got their, where they're from wrong. And it frustrated them because they were like, how could you get something so simple, so wrong? And it was this aha moment of, wow, I wonder how many other things I've read online that the tabloids or the press got wrong, you know? And if they can get this one fact so wrong, I wonder how the nuances of other things can get so twisted and misconstrued. And so I think that applies personally as well. When we've been misunderstood or when we've, you know, felt like we didn't have anyone on our side, then that makes us a little bit more tender towards someone else. And I, I think something else I heard as you were describing how you've arrived at that conclusion is that you pull a lot of these lessons from your own experiences, from life, from your learning. But another source that I know you get a lot of these thoughts from is from books and from reading. And um, I don't, again, you and Krista, I don't think I've met anyone on the planet who reads more books than the two of you. Yeah, it's probably why we're besties because we just really hang out with each other and read. That's really like most of our, our, our life together. I'm going to say it's the glue that's holding the two together because when I came to visit you guys recently, I stayed in, in your room. You're gracious to kick yourself 
myself out and let me sleep in there. And there was just a stack of books by your bed. And they're like, oh, no, these are, you had your fun books. Like, no, these are my fun books I let myself read on vacation, which it's like the chemistry of the brain. And yeah, like, yeah. Those are actually <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> no. And you're like, I'm, I'm letting, I'm waiting. That's like my treat, you know? And so... so- what a nerd. <laughs> That's like the highest nerd it. factor. I'd just been outed. <laughs> but you also said to me, because we were talking years ago about how I feel like the Lord has put a call in my life to speak and I never would have thought it would be a podcast, but to do things like this. And you said you will not have anything to talk about if you don't read. And I think about that a lot. And I've noticed that there are times where I'll try to get behind this microphone or stand on a stage and I haven't been reading. I haven't been learning. I haven't been engaged. And it is so much harder. It's like trying to like draw water from a dry well. Like it's just so much more difficult versus when I'm reading, you can like it. Now people will be able to listen and tell. You can tell when I've been reading because I actually have something like substantive to say. Um, So I'd love to know what are you reading right now? And what is a book that's changed your life? Yeah. Yeah. I think what the reading, I'll, I'll add this in there too, just what you said about like, hey, like, we won't have anything to say if we're not reading. I would say too, like the other piece of that is, you know, if you're in that place in life where you're having really rich conversation and learning from other people, I think it's the learning piece yeah, and how the Lord just kind of pulls from that overflow. And I think that relationship between us and the world and others, whether through books or people. So, um, you know, there's just, I think the Lord, I think the Lord delights in community way more than like in that connection between us whether through an author in a book or in person mm-hmm. way more than we even understand, you know, which makes sense with the Trinity, right? Like yeah. the, the whole, the whole essence of the Christian faith is around this God that is constantly in relationship. And so anywho, um, so, uh, Oh gosh, what am I reading right now? Um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I, um, I am a, a huge YouTube fan. And so I just finished uh, Bono's new memoir, Surrender, which is just probably one of the most beautifully written I've memoirs. I've heard multiple people oh, say that it's goodness. one of the best books they've read in a long time. It is just, it's just utterly beautiful. Um, um, I think another book that's been really formative for me lately, and it's just been really healing, um, is uh, Makoto Fujimara's Culture Care. So, um, Ujimara is a visual artist. Um, he's trained in a, um, a very old um, Japanese style of painting where you kind of crush, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, uh, you crush minerals and you, it's a very long layered type of art um, and it's a, a very ancient technique. Um, and uh, his parents are Japanese and um, he's, uh, Japanese American and, um, was like, I think the first American to train in this particular school in Japan. Um, and he, uh, came to, uh, Christian faith and just, uh, it's just one of the most thoughtful voices. Um, and going back earlier to this theme of hope and just where do we heal and how do we heal as people and as a nation and as a, as a, as a world really right now, um, and he has a book called um, Culture Care. And so kind of the idea of, you know, we talk a lot right now about creation care. What does it look like to steward the earth and care for the environment? He kind of uses that same language and talks about culture care um, and talks a lot about the place of beauty and the pursuit mm-hmm. of beauty as um, how we care for our souls, which ultimately helps us care for culture. Again, I'm probably butchering his very thoughtful ideas. I don't know. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, but he's just, he, he is a, a voice that I've, I've, like I've known of Fujimara for a long time, um, but I've never really taken the time to sit down and engage. Um, and that book was just, uh, it's a very small, small book, but just super it's rich. Just rich. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just super timely right now. Um even if you're not a person of, of faith or you're from a different faith, um, the, the, the ideas are universal. Right. Um, I really believe that. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so I think that's been just super healing, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, just good, you know, again, it cultivates, I, I think I find myself attracted to authors and writings right now that call me to genuine hope, not just, yes. you know, cheap hope, but, um, you know, that really kind of, foundational hope. And so, um, 
yeah, so I think that. Um, and then what would you say is a book that's on the life bookshelf? You're like, oh, oh this man. book is on my life bookshelf. It is like one. And I know there's a bunch, yeah. but what's yeah. just like one that comes top of mind? Um, usually I say the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning is usually the first one mm. that I say. Because I remember it's the first book that um, I think helped me to love myself. Yeah. Um, which was something that I've never really had an easy time doing. And mm. Um, and then I would probably say in college, I took a class and we read, um, a book called There Are No Children Here by Alex Kutlowitz, who's an author that I, I love. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, I said, he's a journalist, Alex Kutlowitz is a, is a journalist and he essentially embedded himself, I think in the late eighties, maybe early nineties, somewhere around that time frame, where he literally lived with a family in the worst housing project in America, the Horner housing project, I believe in Chicago. And, um, and he just observed and kind of wrote about their life. And I think that that, um, I don't, up until that point, I don't think I've ever had a book that made me weep. And I remember reading that book as a, Hmm. you know, 19 year old and just having to put it down. You were like gripped by it. Yeah. And just Mm -hmm. weeping at injustice and brokenness and, Hmm. um, you know, and, and just, you know, um, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that came from poverty, that came from Hmm. racial injustice that, um, you know, and I haven't read it in a long time. Um, so it's probably a book I should go back and read now to just to see how it translates to this hour. But, um, I just, you know, when it, you talk about the power of story, um, and how story can teach in a way sometimes that nothing else can. And really it was just this family story. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find yourself pretty quickly grieving with them. And then you realize when you close the book, these are real people. This isn't, fiction. This right? isn't fiction. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so I think that book really probably formed me and challenged me in really deep ways in the conversations in the classroom around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that made me think beyond my own experience and my own mm-hmm. worldview at that point. Over the last few months, this podcast has been sponsored by Olive and June. And let me tell you, incorporating Olive and June into my weekly routine has been a game changer. I just feel so much better when I have my nails looking good. I'm ready for coffee meetings. I'm ready for in-person meetings. I'm ready for when my hands are just waving around on a podcast or a Zoom. It just helps me feel a little bit more put together, whether it's for me or just wanting to look presentable, like I said, in these meetings that I'm having throughout the week. Olive and June has everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. You can customize it with your choice of six polishes. So pick the colors that you want. And this polish doesn't chip and lasts seven days or more and breaks down to be just about $2 a manicure. And this has been a game changer for me because I have been trying to save a little bit of money and not having to drop major bucks in the salon every time when I want to get my nails done has been amazing. Plus, my nails are in just such better health because I'm not getting the gels and acrylics put on them. Olive and June is incredible for so many reasons, but they help you feel and look your best. So don't waste any time. Visit oliveandjune.com slash Nick Dutton for 20% off of your first manicure system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash N-I-K-K-D-U-T-T-O-N for 20% off of your first manicure system. I mean, that kind of plays into, I think, the next question I was going to ask you because I was thinking about the way that you interact with others. Mm -hmm. And I have been one of the others that you've interacted with. I mean, the amount of ministry that has happened in my life over a table with chips and salsa and a couple Cokes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Chips and salsa, power food. (laughs) We would sit opposite each other with some chips, some salsa, and some sodas. And And it was like chilies. Oh, I love chilies. And people hate on chilies. Chilies is legit. People need to learn. We hit up TGI Fridays. Like, it didn't have to be fancy. We could could ball on a budget, and we had a wonderful time. And, I mean, I remember so vividly, there was one conversation. Like I said, you and I, our lives really came together in one of my hardest seasons. And that was God's gift to me. I, I believe that. And as we were sitting across from each other at the table, I remember I was really wrestling with, like, 
my view of myself. And some of it had come from narratives that I had believed since I was very, very little. Um, And what it came down to is I was really battling this idea that I am just at my core, a selfish human being that like, no matter what I do, no matter how I try to be like that, I will always default to selfishness. And that had come from a lot of different places. Um, And I remember you had looked at me and you said, you are not selfish. And it just, it's so simple, but it was just, it cut like away some of that junk that was on my heart. And I think about that a lot. And sometimes when I'm starting to head back down that path, I have your voice in my head to say, there's another, there's at least one other person on this planet who does not think that that is my default, that does not think that that is my descriptor. And I think you've said this through, you've definitely done it through reading, but where did you learn or, or how did you, or who did you learn from to love others fiercely? And I think my bigger question after that is also what invitation would you offer people listening to love the people around them fiercely and to love them as well as they can? Yeah. I think what's so ironic is I think in that season of life, um, you were serving so hard. Like, I mean, I think you and Scott were at Highlands at that point. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just, I don't think I had seen people serve individually and corporately like you and Scott were doing in that season. Both of you are that individually. And then together it was just kind of like this power team. You know, there was like never a weekend where y'all weren't loading somebody's truck who was moving or, you know, like. That's just, God's gift to the, to the world is to me. He's moving someone this right, week. That right. is what he that's offers right. people. But I mean, just, you know, even the way that y'all met was, right. you know, Scott running out right. to put a, a fire out in somebody's car, you know. Um, and see, if y'all haven't told that story, you need to tell it. Oh, no, we've told okay. it. I, I'll probably have him back. I make him come on the podcast at least once a year and he like begrudgingly does it. So we always like refresh the story. So for sure. But I think, I think that's the irony, right? Like the irony is that here is this truth that just felt so obvious probably to everybody that loved you, um, you know, but was something that was just so ground into your DNA to so that you couldn't believe it, even though it was like the biggest truth of your life, I think, not the, but one of, um, in that season. And, uh, man, oh gosh. Um, I remember (sighs) talking about selfish, um, you know, uh, you know, my journey has been a pretty rocky one and, um, you know, there's, um, there's a, uh, a great song by an artist named Mindy Smith called fighting for it all. And, um, uh, she's kind of a folky Americana sound to her. She's great. And it's an old song. Um, and you know, she has this, um, gosh, I, I wish I could remember it. This line in the song that essentially it talks about, you know, Hey, I'm not smart. I'm not pretty, but you know, she, she says it very cleverly. I'm not doing it justice, but essentially that, you know, I'm not, I'm not very pretty. I'm not, I'm average smart, but I have an uncanny, unwilling or unrelenting need to survive or something. I, I, it's like my, one of my favorite songs in the world. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember it right now. I'm blanking, but um, yeah. And so I think a lot of, you know, kind of coming up was just survive, you know, just um, do the next thing, keep your head above water, keep fighting, keep. And, um, and so I think it led to a place in my life of just, brokenness and feeling really unseen and, uh, really alone. You know, there haven't been a lot of those voices in my life. Um, can really any of any consistency, um, you know, there've been people that along the way that I've been able to glean from who have been wonderful, but there haven't really been consistent voices, um, really to say, Hey, you should think about this. You should think about that. Just haven't really been there. And I remember having a moment, gosh, I was probably in grad school. Um, I was just angry. Oh gosh. I, anger was just this, this, and I was even maybe rage has just. Do you think that was on the opposite side of that justice bone? Like, do you think that stems uh, from the same place? uh, I I think it was more, uh, an anger from pain. Mm. Um, and, um, desire that I I just couldn't, I never really belonged anywhere. You know, like I was the kid that was like president of my class, but ate lunch alone in high school. So it was always this paradox of, um, 
like, like being like other people would say, Oh, you're in, but there was never this place of belonging and just feeling very lonely. And, um, and then when I became, um, a Christian, um, I didn't really fit in this new world that I am in and I never fit in the, the old world that I was part of. And, um, and through some just really painful things personally, um, I, I remember sitting, I was, I don't even remember why, but I was back at my alma mater and, um, there was this like set of cement steps that came down from a parking lot. And, um, I had been there with some, um, friends from college and, uh, I was in grad school at the time there. And so I might've been after a class or something. I don't say, I don't even remember, but I remember sitting, <laughs> ironically sitting on the steps, smoking a cigarette. Um, <laughs> And I didn't even smoke. I've never really smoked a whole lot, but that's the season that of my like life a, I was in, you know, like a movie scene. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I was like, like, I'm like, you know, back in the day when I went through a phase, I had like one pack of cigarettes. I think it took like two years to get through, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, but I it just was in that place. I was in that place of just frustration and anger and loneliness and hurt. And, you know, I remember crying out to the Lord and saying, who's like, who's going to guide me? Like, is there anybody to help me? Like, I have all these questions. I have all this stuff. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this on my own. You know, we talk about the church and I'm like, I've never experienced the church being helpful in any real right. way personally up until this point. And, um, it was just hurt and angry and lost and felt like I had been bamboozled and, I'll never forget it. it. It's one of the the few times in my life I can say, I know that I know that I know that I heard the Lord say to me, um, you know, essentially, well, like, who are you guiding? Who are you loving? And I'm like, wrong answer, Lord. Like, that's we, not what I'm asking. We you are missed here. The message. You missed the whole point. Like, I'm tired of, I'm tired of like output. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsting and hungry. I'm hungry for wisdom. I'm hungry for input. I'm hungry to figure this thing out and to make sense of my world that just has, has made no sense and had just been super difficult, um, and messy and painful, uh, for a variety of just really messed up reasons. And, and I just remember leaving that moment being like, completely defeated. Like, Lord, that's mm-hmm. your answer to me. Um, but <laughs> weirdly, I think like only the Holy Spirit can do. It's stuck. Yeah. And I, I think we find so often our healing in our provision in the loving of others. What I saw as my lack um, was was really my greatest place of offering. Maybe that's like the best way to say it. Like yeah, that makes sense to this me. This thing that I longed for and I hurt for somebody to just speak the truth over my life, someone to tell me I wasn't a mistake, somebody to tell me that I wasn't a disease, that um that I was worth loving, that I was worth knowing, that I had a purpose for my life, that things weren't always going to be hard. Everything wasn't always going to be like this. And the things I just so deeply longed for that there wasn't anybody there to say mm-hmm. it, it somewhere along the way became a mission to say, I don't want anybody else to live in that place. Um, because it's just not necessary. Right. right? Like, um, and I can't tell you how or when, but I think it just, I think I can look back now, the beauty of being a little more grown and say the place of what I thought was my lack became my greatest offering. Um, because I think when I came to a place where I didn't know what else to do with my life, or I didn't know what my purpose was, or I wrestled with meaning there was always kindness, right? Yeah. Like even if I can't do anything else or I'm not sure how to do anything else, um, I can, I can offer that. I can offer somebody kindness. I can offer somebody truth. I can offer somebody love. Um, I know it sounds so vanilla and basic, but it's not, but it just feels that way. I feel like I'm doing a really bad job of explaining that. No, that sounds right to me. And that I think answers the question how I would expect you to answer it because I've seen that practically 
play out. So uh, anyone who's been listening along on this podcast knows that the last year has been super unexpected for Scott and I. And to be honest, we've lived just an unexpected life together so far. <laughs> it's like car fires. I want to say, I, right. I want to say it's this year. And honestly, I think it's just this life. Like that's just the life that we've been living. How you guys found Scout, like everything is, it's is just, got it's a story. It's always an adventure. It's always an adventure. And it's good things. It's fun things. It's like we've been moving and we've gotten to be a part of things that I never could have dreamed we would be a part of. But then we've also faced very unexpected loss and grief. And this last year was a whole throw all of that into one big mixing pot. That's what it was. And, you know, I do talk pretty openly about it and I have a great group of friends and everything. You're in Pittsburgh, I'm in Georgia. But I remember we were just texting back and forth one night and you started asking me, no, but really, how are you doing? And everyone asks how I'm doing all the time. So I gave you like my answer. This is how I'm doing. We're doing good. It's like a little bit of vulnerability, but like enough. And it's like the whole recipe, you know? And then you pushed in again and said, but I'm a bit concerned. I'm a little bit worried about you. And that unlocked that truth of actually I'm I'm not doing very well. And I don't think it was that I was trying to be performative. I think that that was my coping mechanism. It was survival, you know? And so then two weeks later, I found myself in Pittsburgh with you and Krista and Sasha living the best weekend, like having so much fun, like chowing down at Texas Roadhouse on a Friday night. God bless Texas Roadhouse. God bless Texas Roadhouse. And I mean, as people would know, like we should be commercials for like fast chain food. We really are. It's not bougie. It's not bougie at all. Nope. But I, I think like what I'm saying is that you were that to me because you had that experience with the Lord where you've had moments where you would wish someone had asked you that question, yeah. that yeah. someone had pushed in a little bit harder. Right. Knock one more time. Exactly. Knock one more time. Because yeah. you're the same way. Like you right. are open and you're honest with yeah. people. Yeah. Um and I think sometimes people can just leave it there then like, oh, okay, she's good. Yeah. I don't have to worry yeah. about Jamie. But, right. you know, having someone that will, like you just said, knock one more time, that right. actually does kind of break down that barrier a little bit. And so I, I yeah. think I've seen you live this really well. And like I said, it's intersected my life in some very pivotal moments. Yeah. And then it's reminded me to turn around and do the same for people. Yeah. And not just to get a badge or to be performative or to look like, wow, I'm doing such a great thing. But because that grace was extended to me, that mercy was extended to me. And I would love the chance, the honor, honestly, to like send that backward is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Well, and I think too, I mean, maybe this comes back to the Fujimara question of beauty. Like people are just really beautiful, you know? And I think you know, we're forced all the time to digest the ugliness of, of humanity. You know, we have this amazing couple that live across the street from us that are in their late eighties, uh, Mr. Jeff and Miss Jean, who don't even for uh, appear the weather, you know, for a good part of the year is, it's not easy on folks who are elderly. And so we don't even get to see them much for part of the year because they can't even get in and out of the house, but they're the most generous humans. And I remember mm-hmm. one time we just, you know, we had made uh, Thanksgiving dinner and they, um, um, have just some really real loss in their life and lost their son early and their grandson early and their daughter lives in Minnesota. And so, you know, has a hard time. She's faithful to come when she can, but they're really just the two of them and they don't, you know, get around much. And, you know, I remember after Thanksgiving, we just like packed up a bunch of leftovers and, you know, took them up and spent some time with them. And I mean, we got three thank you notes on our fridge, mm-hmm. you know, that they were just so tickled by mac and cheese. Miss G, uh, Mr. Jeff can't have gluten. And so Miss Jean, you know, just like was so tickled to have that mac and cheese. And, you know, <laughs> Krista's a Southerner. And so she makes a mean mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Praise mm-hmm. the Lord for Southerners <laughs> and their mac and cheese. Um, we could, we should have a foodie podcast next time, I but, know, uh, <laughs> but you know, and I just think like she drew these little stick figures, like celebrating mm-hmm. on her note. And we like steps in two years, it's still on our fridge. Like, you know, just, and then, you know, Miss Donna lives down the corner and she's in her seventies and, she, you know, she loves to be the center of attention, but like in the most hilarious and funny ways and like always has these really dramatic stories. <laughs> She'll tell you how she tackled Robert Kennedy and got arrested, um, <laughs> when she was, you know, in her heyday. And, 
you know, you go down and I love to sit in Starbucks. There's this one little table. There's like this little, the window kind of juts out and there's this one little table that sits in the nook. So you can just see everybody that walks up and down the street and, you know, you see people, you know, a dad, you know, doting on his, you know, toddler, or, you know, um, you know, somebody laughing with a friend walking the dog or you see somebody hold the door open for somebody. And, um, you know, I just think we need to look and I think people are worth loving and, mm. um, you know, at the end of the day, everything else is going to fade away. And, yeah. um, and you know, it's each other that we, you know, it's, it's the people that, that last. And, um, and, and I think I just, I, and I just like, if we just would look more, right. Like, people are so beautiful and I think most people are really struggling with the same things. It just manifests in really different ways. You know, that kind of, no, it's a little trite, but like everybody's struggling with something, you know, we don't know and we don't like, we just don't. And, um, and so what does it look like? You know, what does it look like to, um, man, just, uh, there's a prayer. Um, <laughs> this is so arrogant. Um, but I remember when I first came to know Christ. Um, <laughs> so I just, I can't believe I'm about to admit this. But I used to pray every night that Jesus would let me love him better than anybody else, which is like <laughs> such the like, who's the greatest disciple conversation, right? <laughs> I think uh, I've prayed similar prayers. I'm like, like, I know you love everyone, but I am your favorite, right? Yeah. Like I'm special. Yeah. Like just please, Jesus, like teach me to yeah. love you. Like if I'm known, I remember praying and I even have it in a journal somewhere. Like, let me be known for loving you. Like, like let that be the thing I'm known for. And I think the irony is that I think, Maybe, I don't know, maybe the Lord answered that prayer um, and is answering. I should say is because gosh knows I have a lot to learn. Um, You know, you know, hey, what you do for the least of these, right? Um, You know, and I think there's a prayer that I actually have come back to recently in light of just all the stuff that we're navigating Mm -hmm. as a culture. Uh, Lord, help me to love the things you love and hate the things you hate. Mm-hmm. And it's a simple prayer, um, but we assume the things we love are the things God loves and the things that we hate are the things he hates. And so I think I never want to presume that, you know, right. whether it's a political stance or um, something in pop culture or even some, myself, like I'm really bad yeah. at loving myself. Yeah. And so Lord, help me to love the things you love. And sometimes that's, I need you to help me love my, like, I need you to help me love me better, not selfishly, but just, I need to stop with this soundtrack in my brain and so I think that prayer's been really helpful yeah like are we seeking the Lord um maybe it's like with the greatest of all these things is love mm. how like are we running after that like how do we run after that other than just by seeking him to teach us and to in- inject us to infect us with what we can't do on our own yeah so now you get me all wound up I know. I know. I'm literally, I could sit here all day. This is exactly, if we had chips and salsa, this is what. (laughs) I know. And there are a handful of guests that, I mean, every guest that's come on has been out of this world. There are a handful that I've made promise on record that they will come back for a second time. So will you, Jamie Swank, come back for a second time and a third time and a fourth time? If there are chips and salsa. Okay. Done deal. Because we did not even get to half of the things I wanted to talk about. But I do think that this was a very accurate representation of what a a genuine conversation with us would look like. Is just kind of talking about what the other person is finding important in life right now. um, And just kind of, yeah, wrestling through that together. So this is everything I hoped it would be and more. And I also want to say this on the record. I'm just so grateful for you. Scott and I are so grateful for you. You've been family to us and you are family to us. And so I love you. And to get to actually introduce you to people that maybe haven't had the chance to know you is just a joy. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, hey, it it works both ways. I mean, like the Lord brought you all into my life when I literally knew nobody and had moved. It was just Sasha and I and um, in this whole new place, which is the South, which was a foreign country in so many ways. And so um, you were you got you first. And then as Scott came into our lives, we're, we're an anchor 
in a really stormy time of life. And so, uh, yeah, right back at you. It works both yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, we love you. I and love y'all. The folks heard it here. You're coming back again. Chips and salsa. You guys, I'm so glad and so grateful that you just got to meet Jamie. I hope that you just fell in love with her as much as I have. And like I said at the very end there, we have her on recording. We have her promise. She will have to come back because we could talk for multiple, multiple more hours. But I, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I hope that you felt like you were able to just pull up a chair, sit with us, and just talk about life together. So until next time.